as you get further along in your career, you start to really hone in on what am I truly good at above and beyond What I found with myself is I'm a good marketer, but I'm great at working with franchisees. I'm a great chief development officer. And if I really wanted to be a chief on the pace that I wanted to, I needed to pivot my career versus continuing in marketing. And that's something I would have never thought at the beginning of my career but things change. You find out more and more what those top strengths are. You have to listen to the feedback that others give you about what you're really, really good at and learn to make what you're really, really good at your superpower and embrace that. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. I'm Roman Segel, Recovering Marketer. And I'm Andrew Tarvin, humor engineer. Roman and I both got our start at P&G, the Procter & Gamble company, where we had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at P&G. In this series, through conversations with fellow P&G alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know, but want to know more about. It's kind of like being a fly on the wall for my mentoring coffees. On today's show, we're talking to P&G alumni leader Amanda Clark, the Chief Development Officer at Papa John's International. It was a great conversation about finding and identifying your strengths in the workplace. Here's a quick bio on Amanda. Amanda Clark is the Chief Development Officer for Papa John's International, where she leads the company's strategy to continue expanding its restaurant footprint in North America and internationally. Prior to joining Papa John's, Amanda was Executive Vice President of the Restaurant Experience at Taco Bell, where she reinvented the customer experience by bringing together marketing, technology, architecture, and design, and construction to create a unified vision. Amanda began her career at Procter & Gamble, where she spent nearly 12 years working on some of P&G's biggest brands, such as Olay, Pampers, and Oral-B. Amanda graduated from Yale University with a double major in psychology and theater studies. You just heard Amanda doesn't have the usual degrees that maybe some of our guests have had, but she shares pretty early on in our conversation how she applies what she's learned in both psychology and theater to thrive in the workplace. You can also tell she's a consummate professional as well because she didn't groan when I made a pun based off of one of her answers. One of the big takeaways for me was when Amanda talked about the importance of finding what you're good at. In fact, she shared how she found out that she was good at development and gives a couple of tips on what other people can do to find their own strengths for their own work. And finally, I really appreciated her perspective on building a diverse and inclusive team, how you have to be intentional about doing so, and that you even have to be willing to push back when others are maybe glossing over it. And her closing piece of advice is something that I think we could all benefit from hearing a little more often from our leaders. I think you're going to really enjoy our conversation with Amanda, so let's dive right in. Today we're talking to Amanda Clark, Chief Development Officer at Papa John's International. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Andrew. It's good to be here. So I'm really excited to be chatting with you today. Now, many may already know your professional story. So you graduated from Yale University with a BA in psychology and theater, and then started working at Procter & Gamble as an assistant brand manager, first for Crest in Cincinnati, before later becoming brand manager of Pampers, Oral-B, and then later associate marketing director for Olay. 
From there, you moved to Taco Bell, rising to executive vice president of retail experience. And now you are the chief development officer at Papa John. So my first question for you was that the career you imagined you would have when you were growing up in Jacksonville, Florida? No, (laughs) not at all. Not at all. When I was growing up, my dream was actually to become an actress. So that is why I double majored in theater. The other major, psychology, frankly, was to make my parents happy because they said there's no way I was going to go to an Ivy League school and just major in theater because what if things didn't work out? And good thing is they were actually right. (laughs) Things didn't exactly work out. I did not become an actress. So it was a good thing that I had that double major, which gave me, I guess, a little more credibility in the business world, which (laughs) obviously helped me get a job at Procter & Gamble. Well, certainly. And so, I mean, did you try the acting route? Did you do the move to New York City and sleep on people's couches and (laughs) and try that for a little bit? Or did you learn through that process of getting the theater degree that you're like, maybe this isn't quite what I want? Well, yes to both. I did acting ever since I was young. And at Yale, I obviously had to participate in a lot of shows. And I will say that I always felt that I was more both sides of the brain. I loved acting. I always felt like I wasn't always as fully committed as some of my peers. I will say though that every summer I did go to New York, lived in New York. My parents didn't pay anything. So I, while I was actually working for a theater company, usually unpaid or paid very little, I had to work many side jobs, which included, gosh, working for, I think, Ream water heaters in the Chrysler building, making copies for the legal department to, you know, working many other temp jobs until probably six or seven at night. I would then walk to rehearsal that started at eight at night and then walk back to my apartment or take the subway at midnight and start the whole thing over again. So from that experience, I quickly learned, I don't know if this is for me, that plus graduating with a ton of debt that I personally needed to pay off made me think I need to get a job. (laughs) So that's what led to me saying, you know what, I need to figure this job out. And when I was getting close to graduating, frankly, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had never interned for a company before. Like I said, all of my internships were with theater companies, literally acting. And at the time, so that was 2001, everyone was getting into investment banking. And at first I thought, you know what, I'm going to try that. Maybe I can make some money. And basically, I completely bombed all of my interviews because if you know me, I'm pretty much as far away from an investment banker as anyone could be. And I remember thinking, you know, I was looking up careers. Literally, that's how desperate I was. And I remember thinking, okay, marketing, that sounds like a great idea. Like it's this this blend of creativity, but also business that sounds like me. And so I figured, well, P&G is the best at that. So why not give it a shot? And yeah, and I guess the, the rest was history. That's how I ended up there. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that you're like, okay, just Googling what jobs can I have? Although this was 2001, so maybe pre-Google, but just kind of like looking it up. There's a 
confidence that comes along with you're like, okay, marketing, this seems kind of interesting. Let me go after one of the best. Let me go to like, not even let me intern at the local Bream's place that you're talking about where I did the paperwork before, but let me go to, if PNG is good at it, I'm going after it, which I, I love that as, as a focus. So I'm curious, kind of backtracking a little bit prior to even college and starting at PNG, were there any, any lessons even from growing up in Florida or otherwise that you think inform that decision to either go have the double major or to that ultimately impacted the decision maybe to go into marketing or your success after? Well, I was always taught that if you work hard, you can accomplish anything that you want to accomplish. And my background, my grandmother worked extremely hard all of her life. She wasn't college educated, but she was one of the smartest people I I ever knew. Just worked extremely hard and ended up being very successful. None of my family went to an Ivy League school, but my parents instilled in me that if I worked hard enough, then I can do anything. And I think it was more of a work ethic thing. I certainly don't think I was the smartest one by far in my high school or in college, but I think it was the work ethic that my parents told me every day that frankly, also being a being a woman, being a, a minority, that I'm going to have to outwork people. And if I do that, I can be successful. I think that's what led me to think that I could get into Yale. And like I said, it wasn't because I was the smartest. It was because I frankly was able to outwork people. And I think that also led me to have the confidence, as you said, to think that I could get into business. I always had an idea that it could be extremely interesting and rewarding to go down a business path. But I also had that creativity in me as well. But I think that, again, the confidence that they instilled that if I worked hard enough, I could achieve it, that helped me have the confidence to apply to P&G, even though I didn't necessarily have the background. I felt, you know what, I can do the work. I can figure this out. I've figured many things out in my life just by doing hard work. So why should this be any different? Well, and I think that's such a great perspective. And also, I mean, something that your your parents instilled early on, that's very much as Carol Dweck would say, a growth mindset. But that's that's that phrasing before even kind of growth mindset existed, at least as a quote unquote popular term within corporate training, et cetera. And really important that focus on hard work. Because I think there's the jokes of the millennial generation that we got trophies for basically doing anything. And we were told you can be anything you want to be. But I think the focus that sometimes people miss is, well, you have to work hard to get it. So I love that in- emphasis emphasis on the working hard first. Of like, if you work hard, you can achieve this, not just you can be whatever you want. There's no kind of entitlement attached to that. And so from that perspective, do you think whether it was maybe helping with the interviewing or not, what was it that you think about psychology and or theater that helped you to translate those skills to be successful in business? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Because I think people often, even my career now, they joke a lot about both of those degrees about psychology and about theater. I think I think the psychology helps in some ways because I think I can read people pretty quickly and I can understand and be perceptive about what people are looking for. And I think 
it also makes you more perceptive on, can you really listen? Are you listening for what people want? Can you read those nonverbal cues? And it's kind of sounds manipulative because that's not exactly what I'm trying to say. But I think sometimes people aren't as self-aware as they should be, right? Going into an interview or working for a particular company to be aware enough of what that company or what that boss is looking for. I think the theater aspect comes in in terms of performance. I think a lot of times an interview is a bit of a performance. Are you able to express yourself and to be dynamic and to be passionate? Those are a lot of the characteristics that I look for when I'm interviewing someone. And I think having a theater degree basically means you know how to speak in public and that certainly can't hurt. So, well, I love that. I love the balance of both of those things. Like you said, the psychology of being able to read people and and understand them, maybe understanding what ticks. I think as a leader, you sometimes particularly need that. And then the theater aspect of performance. A lot of our trainings incorporate applied improvisation, which is kind of an aspect of applied theater that as an engineer, I didn't learn those skills, right? In computer science, we're not typically talking too much about here's how to actually be confident or here's how to present yourself or communicate effectively. That's happening more these days, but at the time it didn't. So yeah, anything that helps you to deliver your ideas to clearly communicate them like something like theater improv, I think can be a huge value to someone's career. Absolutely. Absolutely. The theater degree is underrated, I think. I completely agree with that. And so I'm curious, how was the first role at PNG? Because you didn't necessarily have set expectations. Because <laughs> some people are like, okay, I want to work at PNG since high school. So I'm going this degree to this thing to get there. And you're like, okay, this is a little bit new. Was it kind of what you expected? Was it better? Was it worse? Any thoughts on those early kind of career moments? Yeah, I mean, my first day wasn't great. I, you know, I remember that very distinctly. I mean, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to be able to understand things right out the gate. And I remember someone basically putting a stack of business reviews on my desk and being like, okay, well, read these and come back in a week and let us know <laughs> what you think. And I remember looking at those being like, oh my God, yeah, I can't do this. What does this mean? And I think like going home in tears or something like that. But, you know, the great thing about P&G is it's a, a training ground, right? And you don't have to know everything. And, you know, and I think in some ways that's a good thing when you come as a little bit of a blank slate versus thinking that you know everything because you're more willing to absorb the PNG method, so to speak, or, you know, the way that PNG would like you to think and like you to learn. So I actually, you know, once I kind of let go of some of that pressure myself, I had an amazing boss, you know, our general manager was Diane Dietz, who really shaped, I think, and taught me a lot of things about who I wanted to be as a person, as a business person, and really shaped my early career. And I owe a lot to her to this day. I had an amazing experience and was able to connect with people and meet people who were, you know, much more my senior. And, you know, frankly, when I started at PNG, my whole idea was, you know, I'm going to work here for about a year. I'm going to pay off my car and then I'm going to drive to Hollywood and, and become an actress again. 
And clearly that went completely out the window because I ended up working there for 12 years, you know, eventually met my husband, had a baby. So it was an amazing experience that I wouldn't trade for the world. Well, yeah, I remember so when I was an intern at PNG, I, I did a bunch of join ups, what at least, you know, my, the culture at PNG would call one on ones or, you know, one on one meetings, etc. So, similar to kind of a call like this. And I would always ask that question of like, you know, kind of why, why are you still here at PNG? Not as like a bad thing, but so many people had a similar story that was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work here for a year or I'm going to work here for five years and get fully vested and then go somewhere else. And it's like, oh, now I'm on year 10 or year 12 or year 15 or whatever. What was it that, you know, made you stay for even for people who don't necessarily have experienced a P&D culture, but if they're leaders and they want people to have that type of retention and prevent that type of like attrition or, or turnover, what do you think people can learn from that they can use to keep people? Well, you know, everybody says the people. So I will say I had an amazing, you know, I was lucky I had some amazing bosses at the time who really invested in me. You know, they didn't look down because I came from undergrad and I was a theater major and had no idea. I mean, they really cared about my development. And they really wanted me to make connections and to meet some amazing people. And a lot of them made it clear that the biggest thing that they could do in their career was to make me successful. And they really believed that and completely invested in getting me the coaching that I needed, invested in their time, cared about me personally. And that was an amazing experience for me as my first true business experience. So that was that was fantastic. And the other thing that I loved was I felt like I never got bored. You always had the opportunity to take on additional responsibility. I'm someone who feels like sometimes I, I have ADD after I've accomplished this or I launched this initiative, like I wanted more responsibility or I wanted to do something different. And that was always something that I could do at PNG. I could take on new projects if I wanted them. I just had to be there and be vocal about what I wanted. And I had the opportunity to move to different brands. And when you move to different brands, that was like a completely different company in some regards. Some brands had totally different cultures. And I loved that. I, I had I moved to different brands within oral care. Like you said, I was in Pampers, I was in beauty care. And that was awesome. I think that's really helped me even in my career now, just to be able to experience different business models. And again, to be able to experience different work cultures. So I think being able to set your folks up for long time learning and really investing in their career. I mean, that made all the difference for me. I think you're, you're spot on that long time learning pieces, especially if you if you hire smart and we'll say ambitious people, a lot of people who are listening, they might identify as a type A or whatever. But when you're hiring people who are eager and they want to learn, they have this kind of work ethic. Yeah, you want to give them opportunities to to learn and grow and be supportive. So I love that. But if you look at your your LinkedIn, it, it seems like a relatively kind of steady trajectory of, yep, okay, yeah, you start in ABM, then become a brand manager pretty quickly, and then associate marketing director, and then you're moving into executive vice president. Now, it seems like a pretty kind of smooth and almost seamless experience. But was that actually the case? What's the actual experience behind it? And have there been times where things maybe didn't quite work out the way you thought that they might? 
<laughs> sure. I mean, and I always felt like I remember this when I was, I think it, just an ABM. I remember my brand man. I remember saying like, oh, this is taking way too long. I'm never going to get promoted. <laughs> and I remember him saying, Amanda, your career is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I remember saying, oh, that's the most annoying advice I've ever gotten. Like, well, to me, it's not. To me, it needs to be a sprint. And of course, he was right. But at the time when you're young and you want to hurry up and you want to get promoted, it's just like, oh, I can only think six months out, basically. But of course, I mean, I think a lot of things happened at P&G. I mean, I'm sure I would have loved to move faster, but sometimes things don't don't work out that way. Or for me, I absolutely loved P&G, but sometimes the assignments always depended on who was in them, what was happening at the time. And my last assignment on Olay, I absolutely loved it. I loved beauty care. And it was interesting because I felt like, wow, this is really my passion. And I had to really think about what I wanted to do next because I loved it so much. And at the time, the company really wasn't moving in a direction that looked like it the path of beauty. Frankly, that wasn't the direction of the company. And if I really wanted to keep getting promoted on the path that I wanted to, the trajectory was to really go into a customer role. And so I had to really do some thinking. My intent really was to stay at P&G, but my heart wasn't in doing what I needed to do to get promoted. So that's why I left. And that was a really hard decision. That's not what I anticipated doing or what I wanted to do, but that was a change of plans. I never would have thought I would have gotten into the food industry, except, I mean, I guess I like food, (laughs) but I would have never thought that I would have gone into marketing at Taco Bell, but it was an opportunity at the time that married something that I was interested in, which was food and a fast-paced environment, which is something that I liked about beauty. And then frankly, I've had to also pivot. And I think as you get farther along in your career, you start to really hone in on, well, what are my what are my true strengths? What am I truly good at above and beyond better people? And I think what I what I found with myself is after really thinking about it, I'm a good marketer and I think I'm above average, perhaps, but I'm a great chief development officer. I'm great at working with franchisees. And if I really wanted to be probably a a chief quicker on the pace that I wanted to, I needed to pivot my career and I needed to stay with development versus continuing in marketing at the time. And that's something that I would have never thought if you asked me five years ago, or, or and certainly not at the beginning of my career. But like I said, I think things change. You find out more and more what those top strengths are that you have. And sometimes you have to listen to that and listen to the feedback that others give you about what you're really, really good at and learn to make what you're really, really good at your superpower and embrace that. Which I think is incredible advice. And so I'm curious because I do think In some ways, it almost feels like not necessarily a luxury, but it's an advantage. We'll call it a competitive advantage to even know what your strengths are and then to be in roles to leverage them, like you said. And so I'm curious, 
how did you start to recognize, oh, this development piece is what I'm better at? Is it because of, like you, you started to mention, maybe it's feedback people are giving to you? Is it the types of projects that you get really excited about or the ones that you're successful on? What are the, what are kind of the maybe outside signals or even maybe internal signals to say, oh no, this might be something that I'm better at than other people? Yeah. When I was at Taco Bell, I always try to make it very known what my ultimate career aspirations are. And I, I said, hey, at the end of the day, I really want to be a CEO. So CEO or president and whatever career experiences I can get along the way to help round me out to get there, I'll do it. And I was lucky enough to have my mentor. She was president of international. And she said, hey, well, what about becoming the general manager of Canada? What if you went and ran our Canada business? And at first I was like, what? (laughs) That's like way too cold from a person from Jacksonville, Florida. But then I said, you know what? That would be really great. I don't really know anything about operations, the operations of running a restaurant. I don't know anything about development, so why not? So when I went over to Canada, I got that experience. My primary focus really was on development. They hadn't built stores in about 17 years, so it was my job to get that started. So I did that. I was successful at it. I found out that I I really enjoyed development. And again, I accomplished what needed to be done, which hadn't been done in quite some time. So I wanted to come back. And when I came, my option to come back, they asked if I wanted to run all of North American development. At first, I was thinking like, wow, that's pretty daunting. But then I said, well, why not? (laughs) That'll probably help me get even more experience and help me be rounded out. And I found out that I I liked it. And I had another boss at the time who we had some very frank conversations as well. And when I was just thinking about what is my next career move, it seems like things aren't really moving fast enough. And what did he think? And I remember he told me, what are your ranks above all else is working with franchisees and getting them to do things and to be able to market our restaurants and to be able to develop. And he said, you're good at marketing, but so are a lot of other people. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, but the way that you approach development is completely different than most people in that space. And that's an advantage. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I want to go and ask more people. And so I just asked some people and some folks that actually work for me. And I just said, well, will you tell me honestly what you think? What is my strength and what do you think about this? And they're like, this is your strength. And I was like, you know what? I think it is. I think I need to pivot. I need to stop thinking about becoming the CMO and change to becoming the CDO. Yeah. And that's kind of led to where I am now. Yeah. Well, and I love that lesson because it's, I think it's valuable for both people who are trying to figure out what their strengths are, the willingness to kind of ask the question of like, hey, what do you think my strengths are? And then I think it's also a great perspective for leaders of organizations and saying, are you asking the people on your team what their strengths are, giving them feedback? What a great gift to be able to give to someone is to say, I've seen a lot of things and this is what you're very good at. That's a great gift to give someone so that they can pursue it. And it's probably going to be beneficial to the organization if people are that whole idea of kind of leveraging their strengths. And now a word from our sponsor. Today, we're talking to alumni entrepreneur Michael Seitz, co-founder and CEO of Bear Bottle Brewing Company, one of the country's most innovative craft brewing companies in San Francisco. Mike, how'd you go from brand management to beer brewing? Yeah, so in 2007, I moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, 
and I found myself with some spare time on my hands. And I remember the exact moment when a friend told me that you could make high quality craft beer at home and it's like a lightning bolt went through my brain. And the next day I went out and bought ingredients and started doing it. Um, and luckily enough, you know, Cincinnati has this amazing brewing culture left over from pre-prohibition times. And I just got immersed in it and it sort of went from being a hobby into like a full-blown like obsession. And, um, you know, we pretty quickly started putting together the idea to start Bear, Bo Bear Bottle Brewing Company. So these days it seems like there's a brewery on every corner of the country. What's so special about how Bear Bottle does it? Yeah, I think at last count there's over 8,000 breweries in the U.S. And, you know, we had some reservations about starting one because like we were obviously worried about how we were going to be different. But we did two things, I think, which really helped us. The first was we decided that if we were going to take a step back from our traditional white collar jobs, we were going to put our absolute best foot forward on everything. And then the second thing is we realized that when we started out, we wouldn't know everything. And so we developed this model where it was really about coming out with new beers every single week. And for the last three years, we've come out with an average of three to new, three to five new beers every single week. And we look at each one of those beers as another chance to hit a home run. And so far we've hit a lot of doubles and triples and we've gotten the occasional home run, which has been really fun. Sounds like more at bats. Uh least a better RBI. Yeah, absolutely. And when people see that we've done over 500 beers, 500 different distinct unique beers since we've opened, um, they have to ask like, well, how is that possible? How are you able to get your beer out? And we've sort of right-sized and shaped the company completely to fit that model. And so we deal locally, we have about a thousand accounts around the Bay Area, but our whole business model is in service of that strategy. So you guys have been doing it for more than a few years, but now we're in just really strange and interesting times. Less people are going out to have a drink. So how are you guys adapting to all the changes out there? Yeah, I think the first week we were a little bit worried because our sales dropped more than 95% um, overnight. But once we recognized that people's desire for super high quality craft beer had not diminished, and in fact, it probably had increased a little bit, that really gave us the green light and the permission to totally change our business model. And so rather than going through the traditional channels, we understood very, very quickly that we needed to go directly to consumers. And so we totally adapted our business model and our whole organization to meet that challenge. That's awesome. So how can people find out more about Bear Bottle? Yeah, go check us out. Uh, our website is bearbottle.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and we also host a weekly virtual tasting every Friday at 7.30 Pacific time. So if you want to taste some beers and hear from our master brewers themselves, then um, it's a great opportunity. Well, Mike, I love the work you're doing. I think you're doing everyone a great service. We all need a drink more now than ever. So um, thanks for keeping it up. Hey, cheers. Thank you. And now back to our show. And so I am curious because Papa John has been a little bit on the comeback trail and is, is kind of a turnaround project a little bit. And so yeah. what was it that drew you to that as an opportunity? And what's the key to turning around an organization? Yeah, well, first of all, I love turnarounds. So I feel like I did a lot of that and different assignments at PG. I love working on projects like that that need some kind of analysis or some kind of understanding of, okay, wait a minute, why wasn't this working? What are all the issues? What do we need to do to fix it? And then 
hopefully have great results. So kind of a high risk, high reward situations. I love that. That's one reason, certainly, why I took that position. Another reason is Rob Lynch, who's the CEO. He was my first he was my brand coach. He was my senior ABM when I was on Crest in the beginning, in the very beginning. So I've known him for 20 years, which is kind of crazy. I also went and worked with him at Taco Bell. So he and I have a long history of working together. So we work together quite well. But it's definitely an exciting time, I think, to work on a turnaround like that it allows you to f- do things the way you want to do it and to be able to flex that strategic muscle and vision. And I've definitely been able to lay out my strategy, but I've never been able to lay out a strategy and create an entire organization to execute that strategy and hire an entire organization. And the opportunity to do that was just like, wow. That's amazing. Not everybody gets that in their career. A lot of times you get to a place and you may be able to do the strategy, but you kind of have, you're kind of stuck with either the folks that are there and maybe you change it out over time. This was something that I got to do completely from scratch. And to me, that's very appealing. I I kind of have that cowboy mentality where I like to have that autonomy and be able to have that level of responsibility. And to have an organization as well, like a whole group of franchisees who are hungry for change and who want help and who want better business results and to feel like that's something that I can really contribute and help, frankly, folks' livelihood. To me, that was just an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. So, yeah. So that's what's exciting to me about it. Uh, like and also, I very much appreciate that when you're talking about an organization that deals with food, that you're looking for people who are hungry for change. <laughs> <laughs> a little pun there, but and I like that, right? It's hey, this is a great opportunity for me to do. But I'm curious as you make these decisions, whether it was the decision to leave PNG and and some of the work within Taco Bell and even some of those places, and now Papa John's. How does family come into that equation? Because I think one, there's this dual balance, especially for a lot of our listeners who are getting to this stage where absolutely career is a focus of theirs, but they're also either thinking about or in the midst of also how do they manage and build a family? How have you found a balance or harmony or whatever you kind of focus on for, for work and life? And has it been successful or are there things to improve on? I mean, there are always things to improve on, Andrew. (laughs) To be clear, I couldn't be here and tell you there aren't things to improve upon. There's always balance to be found. and But I will say, and I think most of my friends would say, I've always had a really good balance because I believe you need that balance even if you are a single person. And when I was single, I still think I had that balance and, and maintained it because The balance has to start from you. It can't start from your boss telling you that you can go on vacation or whatever that may be. You have to control it. And I think not to completely go down a different path, but I think I've been lucky to find that balance because I also believe in hiring really good people. So we can all share in the responsibility. I never have felt that I have to do everything. I'm not that kind of manager. So I feel like that we're able to disperse the work and that helps a little bit with a natural balance. But 
In terms of moving and family, I'm very lucky. I have an extremely supportive husband. And I remember when I was looking from moving from Ohio to California, of which I have only had gone to once <laughs> for the interview. And I remember I was looking at something else that I thought was a little bit safer. And he was like, babe, you keep talking about this California job. You need to just take it. That's the right one. That's the one you love. So just do it. What are you hesitating for? And I remember thinking like, oh, that's that's awesome. Because that was kind of a big deal. That was like away from our families. And he was like, there shouldn't even be a second thought about it. And he was a teacher at the time. And so when we went to California, he stopped teaching and stayed home and took care of our son. So I'm very lucky to have a very extremely supportive partner who helps with that balance for sure. And I'm very lucky in that way. So, but again, I think it's hard. And in some ways that we were reflecting the other day, there has been some good that's come out of COVID. I have never spent so much time. I have a son who's eight with my son, probably in his entire life as I have this year. Normally, I would be traveling three weeks out of the month and I just wasn't around that much. And so it's been kind of cool and nice that I'm able to spend, I have been able to spend this much time with him and I have to get better when things go back to normal to figure out how do I maintain that connection? That's not always been something that I've been good at. So I think it's something that as working parents, we all struggle with, and I certainly don't have the solution. Well, and I think that a couple of things that I really appreciate about what you shared there is, and one is, yeah, a silver lining, obviously, of a, the tremendous challenges that a lot of people are facing, but in some, some ways, it's caused a pause of kind of some of the normal behavior that we did and gives us a chance to spend a little bit more time maybe with those of us in our household. And, and to your point, to start to think about, okay, if things start to return to a different type of normal than it was before, how can we be intentional about that? And uh, the other thing that I really enjoy, what you talked about is surrounding yourself basically with good people. I hadn't really thought about hiring the right people as part of a work-life balance strategy, but you're absolutely right. If there's someone that you feel like you constantly have to check their work or you're micromanaging or whatever, that's going to reduce the amount of time that you can spend with others. But if you hire the right people and put the right processes in place and share that level of responsibility, you can find more of that balance, maybe not just for yourself, but for the, the entire team. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that I instill throughout my team. We have too much work to do to let a process or a person become a challenge for us. So we have to I really push them to find a very quick solution that I am here to help with. That's my job to figure it out. We're not going to spend months on end debating if someone's going to make it or not. So we're either going to make them successful or we're going to make them successful somewhere else because that's a drag on them. It's a drag on us. It's a drag on the work. And I've just seen that time and time again that we we put off those types of decisions and it just costs so much time and effort and heartache for them, for us, for the balance of the team. So that's just something that I, that someone taught me and I've tried to stay true to that. Yeah. Well, and I think that sometimes, like you said, it's, it's also good for the other person. If a role isn't quite the right fit, then 
it's not good for the individual kind of in that role. And if people have not been in a, a role where they can truly leverage their strengths, they sometimes don't know what's out there. When you can go in every single day and not only one, enjoy what you do, be friendly with your coworkers, but also really leverage those strengths. You don't recognize how powerful and impactful that can be for your career and the, the life surrounding that career. So I love that as a, as a focus. And so right. one of the other questions that we have, especially with some of our listeners, they have to deal with a lot of bias in the workplace, whether it's because of their gender, or their ethnicity, their race, their background, I guess maybe in some cases their major of psychology or like theater. But I'm curious because you mentioned early on that this was something that was instilled with you of like, okay, because of some of that background, you're just going to have to work harder. But I'm curious, do you feel like you've faced adversity because of who you are in some ways? And if so, how have you dealt with that? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, absolutely. I think in some ways, it's very interesting, because obviously, I'm a black woman. I've dealt with that in my childhood and growing up. And in the workplace, I think it manifests itself in many different ways. I used to feel sometimes that some of my managers, if they were different, even ethnicity than me, and sometimes a guy, that they would eat. And I've seen this happen also, like working with ERG groups, employee resource, resource groups, they would have a hard time giving me feedback. <laughs> it would actually manifest itself in a different way that it would be, well, I feel uncomfortable telling a man the straight feedback kind of a thing. And it was, everything's great. And I knew it wasn't great. And that's just a, a bias because they're thinking they have to be a certain way with me <laughs> because mm -hmm. of my race or they're scared. And that can be very, that can be just as detrimental because you're not getting the coaching that you need. And I remember having to literally just say, okay, listen, <laughs> I know I'm black and I know I'm a female, but you need to just, tell me like, what's up? I know I'm not perfect. So I want to be the best. So just tell me, tell it like it is. I just had to clear the air. And I've seen that some things like that happen, obviously. And the other thing is, look, at Taco Bell, at Papa John's, I work in the franchise business. Most of the franchisees don't look like me. That's the reality. Most of people in, frankly, in development, there's a lot of construction. There's a lot of, it's a very male dominated. You can imagine people in my position don't look like me. So yeah, I mean, I, th I think there's a lot of things, a lot of comments that have even gotten made to me, but at the end of the day, I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do exactly what I need to do. And that's it. And the cool thing about where I am now is I'm in a position to help people who were like me and to make sure that I can give people who look like me or other groups who may not have the opportunities so readily, I can give them an opportunity because of the position I'm in. And that's, that's another part of my job. And that's the thing that one of the things that I'm most excited about that I can do because of who I am and where I am right now. Well, and I think that's a great thing to to be able to focus on. Any as you're kind of doing that more for yourself and for the leaders kind of listening, any tips or thoughts on on how they can better do that? Because I think part of it is that individual leaders need to take that responsibility to give that focus so that there is more representation. Absolutely. I mean, I really had to hire 
an entire organization from scratch. And I've worked with recruiters, obviously, to do this. And I specifically said that I would like to see a diverse slate for every single position. I at least want some options. And, you know, it was very interesting because the recruiter, the first round of positions I got, there were no diverse options. And I said, okay, wait a minute. What happened to what I told you? I said, I needed a diverse slate. And for example, for one of the positions, she said, well, well, there are no women for the position that you're looking for. And I said, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) That can't be true. I said, well, I don't believe you. That's not the case. I've worked with, this is just an example. I've worked with plenty of women. I'm going to name them off, X, Y, and Z. And I've worked with plenty of minorities, X, Y, and Z. I said, so frankly, you're not looking hard enough. So don't come back until you've found some. And I'm not saying that I'm going to hire them because I'm going to hire the most qualified, but don't come back until you've found options. So yeah, I mean, it took an extra month to go get them, but I will tell you that now I have, and again, not every single person on my team is would be considered a diverse candidate, but I would bet that I have probably the most diverse development team in the business, but it takes pushing because the easiest thing to do is to go with the majority. I mean, that's just the default. So I think it starts with asking for a diverse slate. And when they come back and say they can't, You push them until they do, because we all know that that's possible. You just have to be persistent. Which I think is is such an important lesson, because you can't just kind of be like, well, I asked, and that's the checkbox mark. But to your point of, I know they exist because I know them personally. Like you just haven't worked hard enough. So I think that 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 pushback and say, no, you didn't say that statement out of because I'm supposed to, you were serious about it. And that means that the people that you're working with, the recruiter in this instant, should be serious about it as well, which I think is is great advice. You know, we have just a a few minutes left. So we'd like to end on a couple of questions just to get to know you as the human kind of shorter answers there. So I'm curious, what's one fact about you that surprises people to learn? Oh, I know how to walk on stilts. Ooh, is that from the theater days or psychology days? Oh, definitely the theater. I, I had to make money on the side. <laughs> <laughs> that's an amazing, I feel like post COVID, that's a great way to enter into one of your development meetings is just come in on, on stilts. I love it. What's your go-to form of escape? Movies, TVs, TV shows, books, podcasts, something else? Oh, definitely TV. Uh, my husband would hate to know that I said this, but I, I'm definitely a fan of the mindless Real Housewives series if I if I want to just absolutely do nothing. Yeah, well, and I think there's sometimes value to that because it's like, oh, I could watch something. I could watch like a documentary series or something. And it's like, but that's going to take additional effort. I need something that I can just kind of strategically disengage from the work. I love oh, it. Yeah. And so you've spent some time at Taco Bell and Papa John's. You mentioned that you love food. Do you have a go-to comfort food that you really enjoy? Oh, man. I love all food. I love my mom is Italian American. I love my mom's my mom's homemade pasta sauce. That would be my last meal. So I would eat that. If I could eat all carbs, that's what I would eat. Like it. Mom's pasta sauce. Excellent. Well, Amanda, this has been a fantastic conversation. Our last question for you is, as we think about looking forward, what's one final piece of advice or even a challenge that you might give to the next generation of leaders? Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's the piece of advice that was given to me when I first started at P&G by, again, my, my mentor, my boss, Diane Dietz, who's still a mentor to me this day. And she said, she told me, I hired you to be yourself. 
to be you, not to be them. And I really think that can ring true for so many people. I think what we're looking for in today's workforce is people who are being their authentic selves and are bringing themselves to work and are not trying to fit an old school corporate mold. And I think that's what's enabled me to get where I am. And that's what I would encourage other people to do too. So, and that's really the only way to truly be happy, I think in your career and in life. So that would be my piece of advice. And what a great, great piece of advice. I hired you to be yourself, to be you, not to be them. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us on this conversation for Learnings with Leaders. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. And that's our show. Like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at pgalumpod. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment in communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. Now, here's a preview of next week's episode. When I started the startup, I was very sure of one thing, that even if this doesn't work, the worst that can happen is that I'm going to be transformed completely. That's the worst case scenario, which is a scenario that you should always pick. And I had no qualms at all about leaving the job, right? So Discovery CEO, very comfortable, very settled, great job, very high paying. The fact was that I looked at it and I said, two years more of doing the Discovery CEO versus two years of trying to build a tech company without knowing tech at all. I'm going to transform in that act of building a tech company, right? And I think that would be the worst thing that can happen out of this whole thing. So I was like, okay, that's a no-brainer choice. But I think that feeling that you're going to get transformed by this act of creation, even if it doesn't achieve conventional success, I would say entrepreneurs have that feeling. That's it for this week. I've been Andrew Tarvin. And I'm still Raman Segal. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.